James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James, and today's special bonus episode, episode. we have the author of House of Rot, Danger Slater. Well, hello there, listener, and thank you so much for tuning in to my bonus episode. I usually like to start these interviews just kind of shooting the crap with the guest and working out any audio difficulties that we might be having before we get the interview started. This interview with Danger Slater was great. Loved him as a guest. He's an incredible author and incredible person as well. I hope you enjoy this interview. We're going to start at the beginning during our setup phase because we had some interesting conversations before we actually got into the real interview. So we're just going to let it roll from there. I hope you enjoy. I, this is the worst part for me. It's just a fucking intro. It's just, I never know how to introduce people. Like, other than say your name and be like, uh, why don't you talk about yourself? Like, I know it's an interview, but why don't you say things about you? So, because that's easier. I could spell my name. So. Yeah, well, what's <laughs> funny is, I was going to say, uh, I actually knew a guy who, he named his kid, his kid's middle name was Danger. And that he actually, like, that's on the birth certificate. So, I don't know if that's actually your name or like a pin name or whatever, but it's uh, it's interesting that. I was like, no way there's someone else with that name, but he actually named his kids just so the he did it all for the joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This kid's I, middle name is danger. I've met a few other dangers out in the wild. Yeah. Oh yeah. Weird. So we exist. Actually the, that the one, the one that I, the most famous one is this guy from Jackass. His name is Aaron, but he goes by danger, danger, Aaron. Oh yeah. And that's I, right. And I was, I was working security at a, uh, a music festival. <laughs> And I was running the backstage portion of this. It was a barn. There was music happening in this barn. It it was one of the many stages. And I was kind of the door person at the backstage area trying to keep people out because it was over capacity and they were beyond fire code. So this guy comes up to me and he's just like, hey, man, uh, can I go back there? I got I got all these cameras and shit. I want to take some pictures. I'm like a journalist, a photojournalist. And I'm like, nah, dude, I can't like it's like shut down you know they'll, they'll close us down if the fire marshal comes by right and um my boss or or you know the security supervisor comes by and says something to me he's like danger blah 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 and then the guy who was talking to me goes your name's danger and i go yeah and he goes my name's danger too and i go okay buddy whatever the fuck you say yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah that's fuck right yeah me. yeah like, yeah you're trying to be my fucking friend all right yeah, i got it yeah. and then he goes no he's like no dude you ever see jackass and i was like yeah he's like Danger Aaron. I was like, and I looked at him, I finally looked at him. I was like, oh shit, you're that guy. From yeah, Jack. you're really that guy. Holy shit. Said, and then I said, go to hell, go backstage. It's fine. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. You're cool. You man. don't you don't count as uh is is uh <laughs> you can be fire retardant as you're in there. Yeah. Like you don't count. I'll, I'll kick somebody else out or hold that's right. Yeah. Next time, you know. <laughs> I'll find someone that's a little too belligerent and be like, bro, you gotta go. All right, you're <laughs> fucking this up. But uh, and I thought I can't remember where I heard this. Maybe it was, was flipping through YouTube or something where uh, you were joking with someone, or maybe it was no, no, no. It was a uh, it was an edit in Goodreads, I think. And you'd said that your it's okay. Your middle name was Safety. <laughs> I thought that's fucking hilarious. I was like, that's great. That's great. So it'd be even more great if your actual if that was your full name, Danger Safety Slater, because that would be your parents would have the best sense of humor ever. But yeah, yeah, that dude, his name was Danger. It's crazy. That's 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 yeah, that's the one that I always kind of lean on because I was like, 
He's like, that's my name too. And I was just like, bullshit, buddy. <laughs> because like, yeah. you know, people want something. When you're a security guard trying to keep them out of somewhere, people are oh, going to yeah. say whatever the fuck to get back there. Oh, yeah. You still do any uh, security stuff? Is that you still? Oh, no. I, as I could, as as I could, you know, am illustrating by saying that I just said, oh, go back there because I knew who he was. I was not very good at my job. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I didn't really like doing it either. I didn't, I don't like telling people what to do in particular. And that's kind of all you're doing as a security guard. It's the fucking worst because they're like, well, why not? And you're like, dude, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't fucking know. So I, I do security at the airport. I'm a aircraft firefighter, which sounds really cool, but it's, it just, it, it is cool, but it's not as cool as it sounds, but also do security out there as well. And it's the same thing. People are like, well, why can't I do this? I'm like, dude, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Somebody somewhere wrote it on a piece of paper and it's in a contract and it's what I get paid to do. And yeah. it sucks. And like you said, it's the same way. You just feel like, uh, you know, a, a, a hypocrite or a fucking fascist, <laughs> you yeah. know, at some point you're just like, let me put on my red armband and kick you the fuck out. Which is like, it's, it's funny because I'm like, I'm here to make sure the cops don't show up. Yeah. (laughs) Like my job is to make the cops not ruin the party. Like, so, so that's like what I'm doing, making sure people are safe and the cops don't come. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's kind of the opposite of, of that, but because someone has to do this stupid job. Like, um, well, that's a, that's a good point is you'd rather have someone, I think like, it sounds like the way you are and the way I am, you'd rather have someone like us doing that than someone that just really enjoys that part of the job. It's like, Hey dude, look, I'm trying to reason with you and just be like, Hey, it's just part of the job. I'm not being an asshole. Just is what it is. Like you said, I'm trying to keep it from getting worse to where everything has to shut down. And uh, I'd much rather deal with that person. Like at the airport, I'm always like, dude, you can just leave. Like you don't have to do all this weird shit like the cops don't have to show up you can just it's a fucking airport bro just leave it like you missed your plane your bag's weird or whatever that sucks but you know you got a fucking parking ticket or something but hey just uh just fucking leave it doesn't have to be a problem you know i'm not gonna do anything about it i bet they never do (laughs) no no well every now every now and then i guess where it's such a like a transient place people are just like well you know that's all i'm doing here anyway is leaving so Oh yeah. Might as well leave. <laughs> they just don't want to be told to leave. I'm like, you were leaving anyway. <laughs> I'll just, you know, just forget I even said it. Just fucking go. You know, we don't have to do anything weird. But it does. Uh that part of the job sucks. But but yeah, well, cool, man. All right. Let's uh I feel like that was intro enough. Maybe I can just throw an intro at the beginning of this. And also yeah. at the end of the show, sometimes I'll I'll run bloopers at the end. So like if something funny happens or a funny conversation or somebody, you know says something funny that didn't make it into the actual interview i'll throw that at the end oh yeah so um yeah i don't know you just fucking yeah. crank uh, off from right. here if you want yeah, yeah however you want to however you want to right, cut cool, it man. whatever yeah. you do all, all right, right. Yeah. It's all good all right well i'll just start us off uh welcome back to the just james horror review i'm your host just james special guest with us today the author of house of rot danger slater danger slater's on the show everybody Danger Slater, would you like to introduce yourself to those who may not be familiar with your work? Oh, okay. Okay. So, so wait, what, (laughs) what do I, what do I, (laughs) what do I say? Just whatever you want, man. What, uh, I've acted like this is my fucking first time, like time on, (laughs) on Mike. Jesus Christ. No, (laughs) yes, I am Danger Slater and I've written House of Rot and another book called Moonfellows and another book called Little Miss Apocalypse and about seven other books too. So I've written a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, and I was going to ask about those. I've only work I'm familiar with is house of rot. And like I said, I read some of your, uh, short fiction and stuff online, but the other books are, if this is my first introduction, are the other books similar to this? Do they kind of hit a different vein or, or what would you say for people that are unfamiliar? Like what's, what's a good way to just dive into your style of writing and uh, your, you know, voice and all that? Yeah. I mean, any, any book that I've written, I think it would work for that. I just, uh, I've, I've been told that they're not all the same tone or, you know, doing the same thing, but they all are very distinctly me. So I think I have a kind of distinct voice or storytelling sensibility. So if, if you read one and you like it, the chances are you'll like the rest of them because they're all of a piece. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Cause the moon, what'd you say? Moonfellow? Is that it's Moonfellows? Yeah. That came out last year. That was, uh, back in, well, actually, almost uh, a year ago today. It was it was wow. one week shy of a year ago. Yeah, that's one that looked really cool, and it had a bunch of awesome reviews. I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to check this one out. And Miss Apocalypse, the cover is cool enough for me to just, you know, I'm a sucker for. I will buy a book for the cover. I'll do yeah. it. I'm not ashamed yeah. of it. <laughs> you know, I'll say it. it. I'm I'm one of those. Some some of these books lean a little like in different directions though. So like House of Rot is definitely a horror book. This leans very horror. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be kind of scary and upsetting and stuff. Uh it's also very funny at times. But something like Little Miss Apocalypse is spoofing like teen comedies. And there's horror elements in it too, especially since I'm dealing with absurdism and when you kind of ratchet stuff up to to you know that level it's it's a very thin line between something being horrifying and something being very silly. Yeah. Um, and so, but that one leans a little more comedy. Moonfellows has obviously got taking some sci-fi elements, uh, but it also is a horror book too. And it also does have a lot of humor kind of in the mix as well. So they all, they're all very tone. They're, they juggle a lot of tones, but, right. but, but they, uh, you know, different books will lean different genre ways. Sure. Well, and I think that's a great explanation. Like you said, they're, what you just explained is three totally different stories, but they're all going to follow that same, I guess, your style and the kind of thing that you're trying to put out there. Um, I noticed in a bunch of reviews, they refer to it as bizarre horror. And I had, I've never heard that term before. Or and bizarre, this, bizarro. Yeah, bizarro. So it, that being said, and just, just my lack of knowledge, I don't, I just really started reading it. I know this sounds lame, but I just really started reading a bunch of different types of stuff in maybe the last year and a half. So just kind of reintroducing myself to, you know, if you go to the bookstore and just go to the horror section, it's, it's not, there's not a lot there. There's a lot of the big names and that kind of stuff. But when you really start diving into the indie horror and a bunch of those, you start to learn all these little sub genres and stuff. And like you said, they're hard to define, you know, you know, this is horror, but it's also something else. So for bizarro horror, would you, uh, agree with that is something is that something that you you're okay with and uh how would you define that for people that might not know what that means yeah i mean you know most bizarro is kind of the the genre of weirdness so uh like a horror book uses elements of 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 tension and uh you know fear as as their kind of main fuel for their stories and bizarro books will use uh, kind of uncanniness or absurdism as the fuel instead. So it uh, most bizarro, not all of it, but most of it also fits under the kind of horror umbrella. And I think if people don't know what I'm talking about, or if that explanation makes no sense, 
the way, the way to think of it is a little easier uh, with films because films have been doing what we consider bizarro for a very long time. Almost any movie that's a cult movie, that, you know, a movie that has developed some sort of late night uh, you know, audience to kind of watch it and, and evangelize right. it is usually yeah. bizarro in a way too. A lot of the trauma stuff is uh, most recently, like something like the greasy strangler would be <laughs> kind of bizarre. Yeah, I've heard of the greasy. I saw some clips of the greasy strangler. I had no idea what that was, but yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, uh, but, 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 but like something like everything everywhere all at once is also kind of in that same vein too. And that's a huge movie that pretty much everyone has either seen or knows about at this point. Yeah. Um, where it's just like imagination and is, is kind of the, the up in the forefront and the rules of the world are not as firm as the kind of world that we're used to. Yeah. I like that. Um, that's kind of what I like when I first started reading it and it does, especially with house of rot and, and not really knowing what I was getting into. If you're unsure of it, as you're reading it, you're like, Oh, okay. This is kind of weird, but, uh, I mean, it has the horror elements to it because it, it gets started pretty quick. And I think just the length of the book, it kind of has to. But also with that length, it's able to take a bunch of really weird turns where you're like, wait a minute, where the fuck? Like, where, where is this going? But somehow it all makes sense. Um, yeah, I think in, a, in some of your other stories that I wanted to bring up, too, and we'll talk about this, but uh, it has all these bizarre elements, but it's still it's not just it. It still makes sense, I guess, as you can look at it and say this still has a message or it's trying to tell me something and uh, definitely want to get into that more once we yeah. uh, start getting into the book more. But is that also an element of it? Is it just trying to be satirical about something, whether it's an issue or things that are going on or uh, currently or in the past or whatever? Is that an element of Bizarro? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, especially the my approach to writing, it is, uh, you know, I'm usually either writing about yeah, satirizing some sort of concept about the world or kind of deep diving into a very personal kind of thing. I'm going to talk about relationships or I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, uh, if in the case of house, of house of rod, I'm talking about like millennial expectations and, and, and kind of where my generation and people like me in particular feel like they fit or don't fit into the world. These are kind of like the larger themes of the book. It's not, it's not written in huge letters across the back, right. but that is what the book is is about in a lot of ways. And when you're when you're kind of using absurdism or bizarre, I'm kind of using these terms interchangeably. Uh, and horror does it too. Like yeah. you need to make a your. It doesn't matter what the rules of the world are, as long as the world abides by the rules that you set up for it. So it doesn't have to be realistic. It's just can't violate its own internal logic. So, yeah. uh, and Moonfellows especially is one where I kind of reinvent science because they go to the moon in 1906 and I kind of explain what they do and how they get there. And it doesn't make any lick of scientific sense. <laughs> right. But, <There's> that, <laughs> but, it, but it never violates its own, like, if I say this is how it works, that's how it continues to work. Yeah. And, I, and it's like, you know, when people watch superhero movies, let's say, and they go, nobody questions like the fact that these people have powers or the things that they can do. The like people get annoyed when they notice a plot hole, when they go, wait a minute, he couldn't have done yeah. that and done that. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. All the other fantastic elements don't matter because they make in sense to the story. But when there's a when there's a, a little hiccup that doesn't make sense, that's where things kind of fall apart. And so 
doesn't matter how crazy uh, Bizarro or the books that I'm writing get, I try to make them feel like real worlds that could exist. Yeah. In, it, it, in their own microcosm, wherever that may be. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally got that in the things that I've read. And I think that's what makes it a lot of fun too, is, I mean, you have to have something to stand on. I think when you're reading otherwise, it's just all over the place and there's no, you don't really care about what's going on because you're like, well, just anything could happen. You know, the floor could fall out from under me at any point And that's not exciting. It kind of has that through line with those, uh, those staples of, I guess, uh, truth for i can't think of a better word that sounds like speaking your truth in the book but you know what i mean like it's it's got it, it's got a solid footing in some areas to where you know for a fact like these things are going to stay constant so when everything else is going you know weird or whatever then you can hold on to those things and know that like well i still know that this is happening so based on that we'll roll forward and see you know what's going to happen to us next or the characters in the book or whatever so yeah that's a that's awesome man that clears it up for me anyway. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you also have a YouTube channel. You want to plug in your other stuff? You got a YouTube channel. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really upload videos to that. <laughs> okay, well, it's on there. Every you once in a one. while, they're yeah, there. there, there shit has been on there since like 10 yeah. years ago. Well, I'll just let everybody know. There's a writing 80s montage on there. I think everybody needs to check out. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. And that, uh, that was a promo we shot. I'm with my phone for a book like eight years ago, but I, that is like one of my favorite things that I did. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. That yeah. was on there. The, uh, the, uh, there's a sunglass hut video. I thought it was kind of funny too. Cause I just, just cause things we had talked about before I can totally relate, you know, it's like three in the morning you're trying to do, and you're just like, oh, fuck, I'm so bored. You yeah. Know? But, uh, still got a job to do or whatever, but yeah. So, uh, let's see what else you also have the dangerous Slater blog spot that, uh, I think it stays pretty up to date, or at least there is about this last book about House of Rots on there. And you can find a lot of your older uh, short fiction on there, too, if people kind of want to dip their toe in uh, in some danger Slater. I think that's a good spot. It, yeah. it, is there anywhere else that, you know? No, you know, like that, that the stuff. OK, so that blog spot, I've had that for 13 years. I've been writing for 13 years, so. Oh yeah, I've been I've been had that since the beginning. My my first publication came out in 2010, and yeah. it doesn't sound that far away when you say it, though, does it? Like 2010 <laughs> seems like no. it's not that far away. 2010 does it, but when I say 13 years, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, am I, what am I doing with my life? That's right, yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, you put out some work though, like you said, all those other uh, publications and stuff. So I think that's, I mean, yeah. I don't know how these things go, but you know, I, I'm, I'm busy. Not, I, I'm not blogging, but I do keep I do keep that. O- open as just kind of a chronicle of everything. So I have a place where everything is collected. Every publication I've had has some sort of link or uh, especially with a lot of these early things that were published online that no longer, they're no longer available. Um, yeah, but, no, they don't. If you click on them, they don't go yeah. um, to that story. But I was able to read, let's see, I think maybe it was a 2010 Snowpocalypse story. That is literally the first thing I've had published. Re- yeah, but uh, let's see. I wrote it down here. The Jersey Devil Press, I think, is where it was. Yeah, they had, they 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 are still active. That magazine, it, they're on like their two hundred. I was in the seventh issue. They're on like their two hundred something issue at this point. Oh wow! Yeah. Now is that a is that going to be a paper magazine or they've gone to online or? Uh, that was an online magazine. They've had some paper print runs, and yeah. that story was in a collected. A collection that they put out too at one point um 
which probably isn't in print at this point either. But right, yeah. 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 Well, um, just to talk about that story, because uh, I got it on here and I read through it. And again, first experience with your work was House of Rot and then go back to Snowpocalypse. And like you said, two very different stories, two very different themes. I, I guess, I mean, they're, they're still, like you said, uh, still very recognizable voice of what's going on in there. I'm super interested in what you're about to say, because okay. <laughs> like I said, that's my first thing that I've had published, that short story. And House of Rot was my latest thing I've had published. So there's a 13 years of writing and practice and yeah, learning sure. about storytelling and refining oh, yeah. what I want to say and growing right. as a human being in between. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, brace yourself. I'm about, <laughs> really to, curious about to shit all over it. it. No, I'm just going to have it. <laughs> all right. Yeah. No. Um. For me, I will say with that length of time, one thing that stuck out is I felt like House of Rot was a more uh, mature story. And I don't mean like, you know, the snowpocalypse was the angst of a young man trying to make it in the writing world. But I'm just saying just the content and stuff. Uh, but I haven't read the other books. So that's why I was wondering if things like, you know, Miss Apocalypse and stuff kind of had this same absurdity from the other one. Uh, but Snowpocalypse, for those that that don't know, if you want to run through it real fast or you want me to just kind of go through what it's uh I, wait wait i'm gonna try because i have not thought about this in a let's long do it time. yeah okay so i yeah i think it's about these guys that work at a uh a supermarket during a snowstorm and they they there's it's an endless snowstorm that's happening yeah. so yeah so it started snowing it's never gonna end and they are work in the dairy department and they're protecting the milk because everyone's trying to get milk because it's <laughs> end of the world. And if you ever worked in a grocery store, which I have, uh, when it snows or there's even a threat of snow, everyone wants to buy milk. Yeah. I, I don't know what that compulsion is, but there we go. And, uh, something about it being expired. I don't fucking even remember how it yeah. is. So <laughs> the, the whole milk thing is beautiful. Cause I think everybody knows that and no one understands it no one our generation maybe uh i don't know there was something 50 years ago like you had to get milk or you just didn't i don't know all the cows were gonna fucking die or something but i think everyone can relate to that whole like what what are we doing i don't know we got everyone's got to get bread and milk we got to get bread and milk i don't know why because how are you going to eat cereal i think it even says that in the story so uh <laughs> it really channels that that bizarreness of that i don't know that threat that we all feel or for whatever reason that people go and buy a shit ton of milk. So, but the funniest part about that was these people go and there's no milk and they're committing mass suicide in front of the, in front of the milk uh, refrigerator thing when they realize, and I think it starts with like a mom and her daughter or something. And they realize that there's no milk. So they pop some kind of pill or something and they die. And then it's like, the clean, the guys that work there, they're like, well, we can't even get to the milk because all the dead people in front of it. And, uh, but yeah, so it goes from there. And then, Jeez, I just took. We'll just, I'll just hit you some cliff notes. Try to remind. We got monster uh, grandmas. We got shirtless, shotgun wielding uh, man, like God type dudes. Uh, we got football sized snowflakes. Uh, polar bears are fucking SUVs. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, it's just great. I don't know. It was a great story. I think it's a good sell. I think if anyone reads that and you're like, this is a lot of fun, it just kind of, it'll. Uh, it just gives you a little bit more. Like I said, I think the other story is a little more mature. If you read that, you know, I think it's the difference between, like you said, if the trauma movies is really what I thought about with that kind of stuff, just that bizarro kind of just like what's going to happen next. But then with house of rot, all that is kind of, I won't say toned down. It's just channeled in a way that's better for you 
trying to make your point is the way it seemed to me, you know? Well, you know, I'm, I've, I have a lot more life experience and I have a lot more to say about the world at this point. I always like, not that young writers are, are stupid. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> no, I, I but, know what you mean. But, I know but there's like, another word for it. I just don't know what it is. Yes. <laughs> no, but like, you know, there's a certain amount of like, especially like someone like me, who's been trying to be trying and <laughs> succeeding to various degrees to be a writer throughout yeah. all this time and committed myself to this kind of art artistic lifestyle. It's like, there's so much I've had to kind of eschew or, or not partake in to kind of keep devoting myself to this thing that I really, really want to do. And it's, I get very reflective sometimes thinking about the world and my place in it. And I don't know as, as someone in their mid twenties, as I was back then, uh, I don't know if I had that at that point, I think I was like more angry at, at things, you know, and, yeah, you know, not sure, saying yeah. everyone's going to be like that, but that's how I was. I was an angry teenager, which was grew into my twenties. I was an angry 20 year old. Right. You know? Um, uh, in a lot of ways, like the act of creating and writing and stuff has been something that has helped me the way therapy probably would help somebody else. <laughs> like yeah. it, it helped me reflect and have a lot of it more introspection and, and work on myself. And I mean, there's obviously still some anger there, uh, I don't, you know, in house of rot, it, it is about you know, people who can't afford to move on to the next phase in their life. Uh, right. And it's kind of this like resigned frustration that the world is set up in a way that isn't going to help them. Um, yeah. And well, what I'll say about the, the snowpocalypse story, and we'll move on from it is uh, that even though it kind of has all those elements of where you can just, I'll just say, you know, can tell like a younger writer, maybe just on, content and just kind of the uh the excitedness of it and all that but it still has a very distinct um social commentary flair to it you know that i think is you know it, it'll have like i said you have a polar fair uh banging an suv but yet even with that it's still able to make commentary that can be taken seriously if that makes sense and i think that's well defined in house of rot you know like i said i think you just kind of honed that skill really well to where you're throwing in these elements that might be bizarre or just a little wild but in this in house of rot especially it mixes that with horror and with that social commentary all really really well that it's not only enjoyable to read but um it's just real interesting to see that point of view and to have it kind of echo. Like, I think, you know, you said your, your age group and people that understand that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what you're supposed to say. That. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you say so, I think so. Yeah, sure. Um, let's no, see. Uh, no, I, it, what I was trying to say clearly got across. So to you at least. So yeah. that is great. Yeah. Um, let's see. And another example I wrote down just to kind of hammer that, point even more was uh a, i think no it was a poem poem ode to a banana oh uh, yeah that one yeah yeah yeah, yeah ode to banana so it's funny to me that it was this uh it, it's it's a poem about a banana for those who are listening <laughs> and don't know you can go to uh, the danger slater blog spot and read it for yourself but it is this seemingly deep 
introspective thing about a banana. And it's kind of funny because we're talking about a banana, but then it switches this really evocative line about how the banana stretches across time and it connects us to apes and reminds us that we're made of goo. And I'm like, so that's kind of that tie that I'm talking about. It's, it's saying that, Hey, just because we're older and stuff, we don't have to be a bunch of curmudgeon old stiff neck fucks. You know what I'm saying? Like we can still have that we still have that angsty stuff that we had when we were younger. We're still mad about the same shit, but it doesn't mean that we're not intelligent that we can't make good arguments. You know what I mean? I guess that's what I, that that's what I'm, that's what I got from your writing so far is that it's that more mature version of that. Um, yeah. You know, that way of thinking from, you know, back before you had to have like a job and a mortgage and all the other stuff, you know? Well, and you know, at the, at the same time, like, I've also learned in a lot of ways that even if you want to say something with your writing, you should also be entertaining above that, right? Like people want a story that they could get involved in or characters that they can relate to or root for. So any message or anything that I want my themes that I want a book to be about is like, that's fine, but it all needs to be like in this package where like you are on board for the adventure or the ride or whatever is about to unfold before you, you, and yeah. these, these are people that you either are rooting for or like to root against, I guess, because <laughs> yeah, you okay. know, not, not every character is going to be a great character that you're on board with, but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of writing takes time to learn. I don't, I, I didn't go to school. I'm sure there's probably people who are, are taught how to do this, like by uh, professional people who know what they're doing. Right. But, yeah. But I just kind of fumbled my way through it and, and attempted to get better. Like that Snowpocalypse, as you're saying, was published in 2010. There was about, I don't know, eight years before that, where I was learning just to write something like Snowpocalypse. Right. And yeah. that none of that yeah, got yeah. published because it wasn't good enough to be published. Right. So there was eight years of flailing learning over trying over and over and over again seeing what worked sharing and getting rejections and just seeing it like what worked and what i connected with to just get to the point where somebody at some point said yes to me yeah (laughs) and that was all it took because of all that failure that first yes i was just like fuck yeah i'm doing this forever yeah yeah. (laughs) you're like see i knew it i knew it (laughs) but yeah that's a it does seem like a real grind just talking to you and and other authors and stuff, just that whole, you know, it's not something you do overnight. And I think even if you did go to, uh, you know, a fancy college or whatever it might be where you learn the writing craft from, if it it's, it's in the trenches, like you said, with the rejections and the finding out, you know, how to make a story that people actually want, how to be entertaining and still say something and mixing all that together to, to have something where someone will look at it and be like, Hey, it's pretty good. You know? Yeah. You're like, thanks. I've been working on it for fucking 11 years, but you yeah. say it's pretty good. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you I for like the that. four stars, the three yeah, stars, yeah. like whatever. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank, <laughs> thanks for two stars and talking shit in my comments. I've <laughs> only been working on it for, you know, eight years. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's, that is another thing that I think would be the hardest for, for me. And I think most people is just that type of rejection. You're pouring all this effort and brain power and, you know, just, parts of you into something and just to have some, but I mean, with the internet now, I guess that's just kind of with anything you put out there, someone's going to take a steamer on it anyway. You know, there's always someone out there that's got to be like, Oh, too many people like this. (laughs) It's not cool. Which, uh, which was 
which was totally me 10 years ago. So yeah, I was going to say, I was yeah. in high school. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah. All right. Um, okay. So yeah. Um, another cool story, just one that I read on there was Warehand, and, uh, yeah, I'll just okay. let the audience get on there and they can read Warehand. It's cool. It's like a twist on a werewolf story. It's called Warehand. Check it out. Uh, let's see what else said something about a screenplay. Did you write a screen? What's it? How's that? What, where's that going? Is that, uh, any news on us on your screenplay or? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, this is what I've learned about screenwriting and even prose writing or anything. It's like everybody, especially as a writer, because you're kind of the first person yeah, to get these things done in screenwriting, right. Or, or movie making or anything like that. You're the first person you, you, you kind of, the, the script is a blueprint and everyone is going to follow this blueprint. So everyone needs you to do your job before they can do their job. And so it's like, hurry up, do this. Here's your notes. Here's your next round of notes. Here's this, here's this, here's this. Cool. Now that you've worked super hard for six months to get that ready, we're going to take about 10 months to get everything else together. So right. it's like, yeah, yeah. Now I'm just sitting there doing nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, they put it, you it, in the grinder and then uh, they're just taking their time. It is. It, yeah. It's been a lot of that. That's kind of what I've been doing for the past year. I've spent a lot of time focusing on that. Um, you know, things are very much up in the air right now when it comes to those. Would you say that's uh, uh writing a screenplay and writing a novel or a, uh, are those have you found any big differences in those or they are completely different disciplines okay. and i don't think being good at one would necessarily make someone good at being doing the other and i oh, took really? me it took me quite a bit uh to learn to write a screenplay so i have i had one that i had written a few years ago and then i had i i'm on my eighth draft of it now and oh, it's shit. currently the one that the producers are kind of working with uh like i said with the strike going on that's a whole other thing uh, yeah we're, we're kind of indie so we're not really part of the wga or any of that but now the screen actors went on strike date too. yeah i think i just saw something about that no. too yeah and then now they've teamed up with them as well so yeah, yeah so and i didn't even think whole, about that is how the whole industry is about to stop <laughs> yeah but but you know, it doesn't stop my brain from working. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it took me a lot, of, a lot to learn how to do this. It, like I said, it's very much more like a blueprint uh, instead of a book, which is kind of a, which is the entire package. Everything right. is involved in the book and in the, in a, in a script, you are not telling your actors how to say their lines. You're not telling the set designers how to design the set or the director, how to take their shot. You are just saying, person walks out of door yeah this yeah. person says this right and like yeah. it's it's very stripped down but at the same time you have to write something that is entertaining or the producers and or, and the directors and the people who might be interested in it aren't going to give a shit because they're gonna say this is boring and i don't want to read it so you have right. to write something that's entertaining that is completely stripped down to like the most economic way you could express it <laughs> right and yeah. it is it's very different from you know in prose you can spend a very long time digging into whatever aspect of a story you want you can talk about 
what what their house looked like for five paragraphs if you feel like it or you could get into a character's head and really express their emotional state or kind of have them have an internal dialogue and like none of that applies at all <laughs> yeah place. yeah that would be challenging because here you are you have an idea of it but like you said you're just having to put it down yeah person walks into room and reacts to mother's you know anger or something you know and it's that i could see how that could be very difficult I, I think it's made my dialogue and my prose better, though, too, because, you know, when I was writing pro, when I was just writing prose, it was very much characters would talk in big paragraphs because I'm just continuing to write, you know, and yeah. they do that a little bit in House of Rot, uh, just because I <laughs> it's not a screenplay. But uh, when I'm it, it's given me a better ear for how people kind of back and forth to each other and how saying something, how there's like subtext in the things people say a little better and you yeah. don't need to actually say the thing that you need to say. The characters don't need to say out loud in a, in a book, what they are feeling. Oh yeah. So necessarily like, because yeah. they, they are expressing it in other ways. Yeah. The whole less is more, I guess, kind of motto. Yeah. Um, do, do more with less kind of thing. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, that's right. I was going to ask you about another book, the, I will rot without you. Sure. I just kind of read some stuff about it. And is it similar to House of Rot or is it kind of in the same universe or in a totally separate book or does it, you it's know? It's totally separate. The It 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 kind of has a little uh, of the same DNA, at least in, in like the imagery and the kind of like things that I'm playing with. But the metaphor is completely different. And the way yeah. the story unfolds is a, is a completely different story. It, that one is about a man in a relationship or he's uh at the end of a relationship he has broken up with his girlfriend and he's in his apartment and these cockroaches that live in his apartment with him start taking the mold from his sink and putting it in his mouth while he's sleeping and it starts rotting his body apart oh yeah <laughs> uh, so so his mental yeah. state where he's kind of falling apart over this girl is kind of his physical state is mirroring his mental state as he's falling apart um, and he's learning how to put himself back together again, you know, and uh, yeah. so it's not the same as how this is brought at all, but it does use kind of mold and decay as a catalyst for the story. Yeah. When when I saw that come up, I was like, is this guy just really into mold? Like, is this just a thing that he uses <laughs> a lot? Or is that, is that something you like to play with i i guess a lot with it just being in the two stories i guess but um just the idea of it does that help with kind of your concepts and i guess this will fall more into house of rot we can get into it i know i'm just flying off the handle here about all this wow. other stuff but i will say um uh, it seems like that so that story is more relationship driven and even though house of rot has relationships i think it has a lot of social critiques in it as well and going all the way back to 2010 i felt like that was also had you know, social critiques and things about consumerism and stuff like that. It that theme, I guess, is still kind of hitting on all those. Uh, it, it runs through those stories as well. I don't know if that's something that you tend to hit on, or it's just kind of you know whatever you're feeling at the time. Or yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think that I'm unique in in regards that there are certain things that I want to express in in my art, and so I kind of keep going back to them and certain metaphors or a certain imagery works a little better to kind of express those things. Uh, Max Booth, my, my editor uh, from Ghoulish Books, he, uh, 
he is just like, why do you use holes all the time? He's like, every book you write has some sort of hole in it. Like, (laughs) and it is, I mean, in House of Rod has a hole in it too. I'm, you know, not to spoil anything, but there is a moment where a hole opens up. And uh, I'm like, I don't know, man. It's just like something that I feel like people look at a hole and it's just a big nothing and it's like what can you project into that nothing and what can you try to extract from it and that is kind of like the whole essence of kind of not just like storytelling and and drama but like horror to me is like you know that kind of like you're searching for answers in 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 nothing right (laughs) you know and that's where a lot of my my approach to horror comes from i'm not so into like slashers or or that kind of stuff in my writing but i do like to kind of deal with the existential terror of being like we're in a we're in a universe that is not built to give us answers or even let us understand what's happening how are you going to navigate it and how are you going to find meaning in this and uh, that's that's a lot that's the challenge that most of my characters face so yes i end up falling into the same kind of metaphors and the same kind of approaches um, but you know, I'm also very cognizant of what I've done before. So I try to make, try to give it a different spin every time I, I kind of dip into the same well, if I do. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's kind of a perfect example of what I mean. Like all of that, of what you just said is just super, uh, what's the word? Well, we called young writers dumb. So we'll say that that was super intelligent. You know <laughs> what you're saying there, the existential stuff oh. and things like that. So what I mean is that was, that's, that's a deep existential you know type fear that isn't a slasher it isn't in your face it's not even present and you can't even really describe it like you said it's a big nothing but it's everything and so i think this story did a great job of explaining that and i'm assuming that the rest of your writing is the same way it deals with those things but at the same time it's not taking itself too seriously like it's not being um the big p pretentious you know what yeah. I mean? It it understands that, hey, we can make this point and be just as smart without doing all this weird, you know, poetic shit. We can still make that same point and just be real people. OK, it's not, you know, and that's that's kind of the feeling that I got from it, from reading it, too, is that, you know, uh, exactly what you said there about, you know, this big the the big nothing. I thought that's a great way to explain it. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I, yeah, I, I do, I do put a lot of work into my prose. I I want, I want, I, you know, the, the prose has to have some sort of like flow to it and musicality to it. So there is a lot of, of thought into what I'm actually saying. So it's not like just themes, like, you know, I am trying to, we're just talking about being pretentious here. And you think of writing that's pretentious is that kind of overblown, overwrought kind of like New Yorkery rambling writing. Oh yeah. Uh, But but I, I, you can be again economical or kind of uh, smarter with your word choices without, and and things will seem very intelligent without seeming pretentious. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah that no, makes, it was a great balance. Sense what I'm yeah, saying. it does. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a great balance in this book. That's why. And there's and there's a lot of humor in it too, which so it, it never takes itself, even though it's dealing with some pretty heavy things. And the characters are in a pretty hopeless situation from yes. the get-go. Yep. It never takes itself too seriously. And they part of the humor is the kind of uh that kind of balance between these characters knowing they're fucked and still approaching everything that's happening with them with this kind of like 
cheerfulness or like we could we could fix this kind of like <laughs> yeah. like uh, just well, like some moxie or whatever you know like yeah. they just have this kind yeah. of like yeah we could do this we're, we're gonna figure this out and like it just keeps getting worse and it worse just keeps and getting worse. worse and worse well and i think that's part of it to to me anyway as i read through the book and uh the couple in there is, is the de novas and we have miles and i have no idea how to say the other uh, ladies alenia alenia Alenia. Yeah. I'm in Tennessee. I can't say that. Alenia. 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 Say it again. Alenia. Alenia. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to fucking cut this part so I don't sound like a goddamn pig. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so Alenia and, and Miles are our main characters. And like you said, very much this starts right away, which always love in a book when you can get into stuff right away. And gets into it right away. And I think that also helps with all the other stuff that happens on the backside of the book. We're not just waiting to see, like you said, they're in a situation where they know they're fucked. And I think you as the reader kind of know the same thing as you're reading through it. So you're like, okay, so where do we go from here? And I really like the direction the, 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 the book took as it went through the story so that even though they were in this horrific body horror type situation, that wasn't really the main that's not the most that I got out of the book, but it was done really well. And just seeing there, oh, geez, I don't want to give anything away, but just as the decay starts to take place, um, you know, it was, it, it kept to those themes. Like you said, it, it, that part held true throughout the whole book, but it wasn't the main focus of the book. If that makes sense to me, as I read it anyway, I don't know about for, as you were writing it, but. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't really think I, I do kind of get pretty gnarly in some of my descriptions and stuff. Oh, uh, the, just tooth, because the I... teeth scene was was awesome. <laughs> I, and people that read it will know what I'm talking about. But there's a part where Elena has uh, some, some teeth issues, problems, some toothy yeah. issues. And that part was I was just like, oh, fuck. I was like, oh, God, that's it was, it was great. But sorry, go ahead. But yeah, like I, it's not the main it's not the main focus for me either. So like I kind of. I like I like to put that stuff in there because I'm into like the kind of horror movies I always liked when I was younger was the, the the kind of splatter movies and the kind of things that were kind of pushing things in a weird extreme direction. So that that always works its way into the into the book, but um, into all my books, uh, body body horror specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is very much m- more about the themes and these two characters fighting for even in their hopeless situation, if, if they don't have any hope of saving themselves, like what, what, what can they work for? And it is some sort of catharsis or understanding or moment where things kind of just make sense. And that is kind of like what the book is building towards in a lot of ways. So I've, I've seen a few reviewers kind of call out that like I don't like how bleak it is because like they're in a bad situation and it does not seem to get better for them and then uh you know it pretty much yeah. doesn't get better for them. right yeah yeah um but they do come to a place of understanding and growth as characters and uh I think that is kind of well, what the book is really about beyond all the shock and all the kind of darkness that is in, in, in built into it when i think that goes back to what you said earlier it's a, it's a it might have a theme or something like that but it's not it has to be wrapped in a good story so and and then also it has the elements of horror in it as well i think for someone to say that it's bleak 
and that, you know, there's no saving grace or whatever. I'm like, well, that's kind of fucking horror, isn't it? I mean, the bad guy wins, but this one is more about, uh, it goes beyond that. It just uses that kind of as a plate to put everything on. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's that's a, that's an interesting take, I'll say. <laughs> and there's not really a bad guy in the book. There's only three right, exactly. That's, that's and- <laughs> what I'm saying is they're, they're looking for someone, you know, either a, a, a savior or a bad guy. And I don't think that's the book doesn't follow those the uh those rules they they talk to their neighbor through the wall and the window and stuff and he is not actively working against them ever he is just treating them with complete apathy and their situation without any sort of care and see and to me i find that kind of stuff horrifying i find that to be a horror element you know when you're screaming for help and no one's helping you or you know like that uh, you ever have like a, uh, like a, um, what's that called? Like a, when you're like asleep and you think that there's like a thing in your room. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like you're half asleep and you're like kind of in that twilight stage. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't know if, I mean, are you going as heavy as like sleep paralysis or just yeah, kind of yeah, being like in, that in between? Paral- like a yeah. sleep paralysis, but like you're sort of awake and you get that foreboding feeling and you're like, oh my God, I want to scream. Someone wake me up. Someone please yeah. wake me up. But you're like, you can't move or do anything. Uh, like yeah. it, that is, that is the most terrifying thing that I can think of is like trying to get help and not being able to get any. Right. And the, so that's what a lot of the horror comes from. And, you know, from the neighbor at least. Yeah. And this neighbor guy. Uh, so in the book, Brad is their neighbor and he is this, just this cluelessly aggressive asshole sort of but he's also like you said it's not it doesn't really seem intentional i mean there's some parts where he's kind of being a a jerk but it's only because they're not uh you know matching the norms of a normal conversation you know whatever because they're trying like you said they're screaming for help and he's like well hold on i'm telling a story you know (laughs) he kind of has that attitude of like uh what is is he a representative of anything in particular or does he represent something in the book as a person or maybe a, a, a I don't know a, a group or a time or anything like that that he kind of signifies to you as you were as you were writing that character because he seems uh significant and insignificant at the same time if that yeah. makes any sense well it's very much like just kind of the world or the universe that they are talking to right that's i mean he's that's not who he is in the book but that's kind of like what he would represent like if you ask the universe to save you or for help you're probably not going to get a response because you are a tiny little blip in a very vast you know cosmic scheme of whatever's going right. on you know especially if you don't necessarily have religion or anything like that to kind of fall back on and if you scream at the sky there's nobody hearing you there's no ears right yeah. <laughs> out there so that's kind of what he is uh to them he's he's kind of this thing that's like it would be very easy for you to do something to help us um you know if not the universe like the government if not the government you're at uh your 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 family or or your employee or or your actual neighbor but like yeah. we're so far removed from all of these things we're in these isolated little bubbles and it's just kind of part of modern society to kind of put public people away and there's not any sort of like lifeline that most people don't have lifelines and if something goes wrong you're kind of fucked yeah <laughs> you don't really know what to do um 
Well, yeah, that, that does make sense. Like you said, if, uh, just at, or just almost being invisible, you know, like you said, if you don't have anything, there's no avenues of, of help, especially if you're in a situation that's, you know, as condemned as theirs or whatever, yeah. but it's, uh, that, uh, you could be surrounded, you could be, you can die in a room full of people, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, there's, there's or, an extended scene when, uh, they're all getting drunk together. Essentially he's drink. He's on the other side of the, on their porch, drinking beers and sitting there and they're drinking vinegar <laughs> in the living room. <laughs> right. they, they're trying to kill the mold that's yeah. growing on them. So they're like, well, let's just drink vinegar. Cause it'll like neutralize it. But, it, but it's getting them all fucked up too. And, but the Brad, the neighbor is kind of like in his drunken state, kind of expressing a lot of the larger themes of the book. Because he's someone who's like already been defeated by this thing. And not that yeah. he's been defeated by the mold, but he's been defeated by the world. He's a loser and he's trapped in this building too. Even though he can leave, he is yeah. actually still here all the time as well. <laughs> yeah. And I, that was something that I got more after I read it. And then just kind of thinking back on it and looking over my notes and stuff was that you're kind of, you're kind of just in that one little blip of time, like you said, you're just kind of rotting in place is a kind of the, you know, the way I thought about it with, with these characters, even like you said, even though Brad's on the outside of things, he's in the exact same, he's, you know, he's still rotting away too. just in a different, you know, way. One's uh, a lot more expressive in the book and the other one is, uh, you know, actually rotting. So, and I tried to do this thing with him too, where like he's obsessed with classical music, so he's constantly yeah. Playing. What was that? <laughs> I playing. was like, what am I missing? What? Okay, I'll start. It's so funny you say that because I was reading it. I was thinking, I was like, okay, let me get let me get deep here for a second. What is what does the classical music signify? Like who who? Okay, so who did this song exactly? All right, well, let me look into their shit. Maybe they had and you know. So like, I'm sitting here trying to dive in, and that's not a bad thing with a book, but because you don't want when you realize the book's trying to tell you something, you don't want to miss anything. And yeah. it's not always the point. I'm not asking you as the writer of this to just tell everyone, well, well, here's what this means. And here's what you're supposed to think because nobody wants that, right? You want to use right. your, your own imagination and stuff. And I think that's good. But yeah, with, with that part, I was like, cause it comes up more than once. And um, there's some interactions with it where I was just like, fuck, am I missing something? Or is it just, is it just this guy? Is it him just being himself? Is it just Brad being Brad? Well, I, I like the juxtaposition of like, when you think of art and stuff, you, what is the classiest or most highbrow version of art is like classical music. It's one of the things that has endured, you know, Mozart and stuff for hundreds of years. And yeah. not every, you know, there, there's obviously like paintings and stuff and Shakespeare, but, but like, it's the most accessible and the easiest to find. And people know it because it's ubiquitous still. You, you hear, you hear, you know, Ode to Joy by Beethoven all the time still. It's been playing yeah. for 300 years. <laughs> like, it's crazy. <laughs> right. For however long he's been around, right? So yeah. so the juxtaposition of putting this kind of shitty guy who listens to this highbrow music in this kind of horrible, I don't want to say lowbrow, but like just the most vile, disgusting body horror situation I can think of. While at the same time, the music keeps reminding uh, Miles of these random fast food commercials because, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I'm making this, you know, people commodifying this, what it would be, what would be good art, you know, highbrow art, you know, quote unquote, good art. 
taking it and commodifying it and turning it into like, oh, this song was used in that commercial that sold Doritos or this one that sold Taco Bell or whatever. And he just yeah. kind of go, launches it. So it's just kind of this like miasma or or just kind of like stew of like all the different ways you could try to look at a, a art in general kind of all smashed together and filtered through this kind of like gross American commercial lens <laughs> yeah yeah no I, that that does make sense though because it is interesting like you said the highbrow stuff but yet probably couldn't tell who you know the composer of a lot of these classics that everyone knows but you could hear like you said a taco bell jingle from the late 90s and be like oh dude i know exactly yeah that was the one yeah. that had the chihuahua in it or whatever yeah, like, yeah. i remember that shit yeah I've had people ask me if those were real commercials and they're not. I made them up completely. So. <laughs> I'll cut that part out. We'll just leave it. We'll let them wonder. <laughs> so one of the, an, another thing that I wanted to talk about with Brad, especially, he says a bunch of drunken, deep, introspective, you know, uh, universe type themes when he's communicating to this couple uh, through the wall or through the windows or wherever. And um, there's a lot of really good quotes in here that I like. And it's funny because, like I said, there's a lot of weird stuff happening, but then when you hit the reader, you as the writer, when you hit them with some of these thoughts, they're just, they're, I don't know, they're just like little darts, just right in the middle of what, because your mind is elsewhere. You're thinking about what's happening to this couple. How are they going to, you know, like that one reader, how are they going to escape? That's all they could think about was how they were going to escape. How are they going to be saved? How is this going to end? You know, they were looking for that ending. Well, in the midst of thinking that, I think... Uh, it's interesting that they glanced over these things, but uh, there's these little uh, just kind of gems in there that I think are, you know, the themes of that existential stuff that you were talking about. So uh, they, there's one quote in there which says, birth and death are conjoined twins, cosmically entwined, woven together by the rot. And I know I read that really fast for you guys listening, but for me, especially at that point in the story, it was just really fucking deep and kind of hit home and it's just stuff that i think about a lot too i think like you said as we uh get more mature and have more responsibilities and all that kind of stuff i think we all still have those moments of like yeah yeah but what's the point you know yeah. <laughs> you're kind of like well, well it's all going to end the same right i don't if you're a millionaire or if you're uh you know uh making minimum wage you're all going to wind up in the same place when it's over right you know uh, yeah. rotting being eaten by worms underground whatever that kind of stuff so um another one of the quotes is the world is one big graveyard I don't know, just those those lines in there, like I said, I was like, damn, that's some smart shit. You know, here we are going through all this other stuff. And it is kind of funny at times, uh, just with some kind of the outlandish stuff that they're doing. Like you said, they're drinking vinegar and all that. And then you get hit with a line like that to kind of rope you back in like, oh, OK, like we're still making a point here. Still very. I don't know. Some parts are serious. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It toes that line very well. OK, is what I'm if that makes sense. I love that because that is exactly what I'm trying to do. Like you, you're, it's like that thing where like, you know, you distract somebody with one hand so you could slap them with the other hand. Right. Yeah. You, you know, slap and, me. And, you did you know, <laughs> the book is, the book is constantly doing that. Like, you know, this scene will be set up to kind of build some tension and then it, it'll undercut itself or this scene is built to be funny. And then there's be a little, little punch of truth coming through there or yeah. whatever the case is, you know? And I, I love books and art and movies and stuff that is uh, surprising. That's like the one thing that I look for the most in in art is to yeah. not to not 
especially someone like me who's been creating for so long and watches a lot of movies and reads a lot of books like you see the patterns you know how stories unfold like there's there's templates that people follow there's these books follow templates you know in in a way but being able to kind of pull the rug out from under people underneath people's feet is like like the best trick and that's what i love when that happens to me and i you know i'm watching something and then all of a sudden i start to like feel that rush in my body where it's like it 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 like it just hits the right nerve right like that yeah. rush where it's like oh my god i'm feeling emotional like and maybe i don't even know how to express this emotion maybe i i don't you know i don't know exactly what emotion it is but like it all starts flooding in and i'm like i'm trying to make things that also do that you know to varying degrees you know yeah, and sure. people are people are all different but uh that is uh, an intention of mine to kind of have yeah, well, you have you reflect on these things at the same time as you were going that was a very silly scene i can't believe it made me get teared up or i can't believe it made right, me yeah. think about my own life like this or whatever the case is yeah and i like that it's done in a way that it's not gimmicky if if that makes sense so it's done in a way that's uh maybe not seamless is the right word but uh it's it's done in a way where like you said you you just you're thinking to yourself like oh i'm I'm feeling something, you know, what is, what is this? I'm having a feel right now, you know? So it's done in a way that's not just, it's pulling the rug out from under you, but it's not in a way that's cheap. So that's just due to the, where you're at, you know, like with your writing, it's just good writing. You know, it's, you're trying to do something, you're trying to tell a story, but also put those themes out there for us to kind of figure out on our own and have our own thoughts about them without being heavy handed or, uh, you know, like I said, just playing into gimmicks, like, out of left field like all of a sudden it's like yeah but what about you know we're all gonna fucking die any you know it wasn't it wasn't like that and that's what i enjoyed about the book you know it was really it had its fun moments and stuff like that but it was also smart so yeah that's uh i think a lot of like my approach with with bizarro and absurdism and stuff like that kind of circling back to what we were talking about at the beginning is you have to if you're a reader there's a certain segment of readers that go, this is fucking stupid and I'm not going to like this. Right. Fair fair enough. (laughs) Like I can't. Yeah, Yeah, sure. But if you're a reader who is on board with this and I start presenting you ideas that are kind of like outside of uh, reality or kind of rebuilding reality or reshaping it into the, the kind of version of the world that I'm going to present to you in the story. And you keep saying yes to all of these little gates that I'm setting up at the beginning, like you're completely disarmed from the fact that the book might actually do something else because you're going, okay, I had to make a lot of concessions. Like I had to go, okay, yeah, mold grows this fast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. These people are covered in it now very quickly. Okay. Sure. Uh, that guy's not helping them. Okay. Right. They're not as panicked as they would be. Instead, they're like kind of making jokes about everything that's happened to them. And it's like all these little moments where like they could be barriers for someone who's going, this is straining, you know, being, being credulous or whatever. And if you allow yourself to kind of go beyond that, like that's where the book really opens up and all these other ideas are allowed to kind of rush in when you weren't expecting them. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's part of, uh, it can be fun and uncomfortable at the same time. You can enjoy yourself and allow yourself to be uncomfortable to let something 
in, I guess is kind of like what you're saying there. And, and that's just, like I said, me with horror and learning a lot about all these other different subgenres or whatever, and how they're written and what they're trying to put out there. I've really learned a lot. And especially with something like this, like you said, you really, you really start to see more about, well, I'm just going to try something different. I'll just read this. Yeah. It's not my typical story. You know, I really like corny stuff like, uh, like haunted house stuff and witches and uh, of course sci-fi and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those are kind of the same and they deal with a lot of similar ideas. There's not a a whole bunch of different ways to rewrite those, but what makes them interesting is usually the situation or the relationships or the world that they exist in that make them different. And with this kind of stuff and these other subgenres of horror, you know, I don't know what to expect. So as I'm reading through the story, my mind might be thinking one way or the other, okay, you know, this is how we're starting out. Where's it going to go from here? And I think, you know, kind of exactly what you said, you do kind of get disarmed a little bit and you allow yourself to just let the story take you where it's going to take you. And um, I think there's, I don't know, that's kind of the exciting part about this type of horror, even with, uh, so I got in a book a while back and it was Splatterpunk, which I didn't know what that was. I've, I guess I've been introduced to stuff like that before, but I didn't know there was a name for it. So I read it and I was like, this is fucking grotesque. <laughs> like this is yeah. like, who, who reads this just to have a good time? But I didn't just like throw it away. I read it and, you know, looked at what the author was trying to do and that, you know, figuring out different types of Splatterpunk and that kind of stuff. And I was just like, Hey, you know, I can, I don't have to completely dismiss this. I might miss out on something. Like you said, I think that's part of you know, if, if someone reads this and they think it's goofy right off the rip and they're going to throw it away, you know, like, ah, oh, this can't even deal with this. You know, I think you'll miss out if you don't give yourself the chance to read through the rest of the book and, you know, have that, you know, have a different kind of horror experience, I guess. That sounds very uh, uh, like I'm selling you a vacation, but but you know what I'm, you know what I mean, right? No, man. I, the one thing I've learned throughout all these years, these 13 years that I've been writing and I've slowly gotten more readers as I go and slowly have been refining what I'm doing and stuff. And what, what, what I've learned is like, I can't make something that's going to appeal to everyone. And I don't know if anyone in the world actually can. So like, if you got to say something, you might as well say it to like the way you want to say it and let people find your, you let your people find you instead of trying to kind of, write something that will find them. Uh, there is moments in in my career and in my creative life where I'm just like, man, I wish I could write something that was a little more accessible to mainstream audiences. I'm like, I know I have a version of something in me that is like this, but every time I sit down to do it, House of Rock comes out instead. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and I think I think you I think it'd be boring. I think you'd yeah. get bored and I think it'd be boring for people that like your stuff. And then again, that particular uh voice or style of art or whatever would be taken away from you know the people who would enjoy it i guess uh and you know and that's the difference i mean you can i'm sure there's people that you can write for money or you can write because you want to write and put yourself out there i think there's definitely a difference and when you read those books you can tell the difference so that for me anyway i'd much rather read something interesting than something for just entertainment if that makes sense you know Oh yeah, like cookie cut, a cookie cutter book's not gonna. I'm not gonna enjoy that. But then again, we we are people who have you know dove into indie literature. Most most of the world does not know or care about that. Like most people will read one or two books a year, if that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and it's you know by the by the they're the big popular books, and that's what it is. And like you know, 
But to people who want to get deeper, there's like so many riches and so many little niches and like it's out there, the thing that you want. And if it isn't, you can just like make it yourself. It's like yeah. there's, no, yeah. there's no like barrier to, to stop you. Well, it is funny you say about um, the books that people want and the things you can find like, you know, at the grocery store in the book aisle. And I actually was watching a horror movie the other day and the lady was reading one of those classic smut novels that old ladies read, you know, with like the the shirtless buff dude on the front and the girls like hanging on his leg on a ship or something. Yeah. And I actually found myself thinking like, I wonder if those are any good. <laughs> like, I wonder if I read one, if I'd kind of be like, I get it, you know, not my thing, but I, I get it. You know, it's cool. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I would or not, but so I, I try I hesitate to shit on one thing when I don't know. So maybe, you know, I don't want to do the same thing that someone else might say, but you know, who knows? But like you said, it's all out there. Um, and I think most people don't know because you just take what's at the store. It's not until you yeah. really get online and, um, you know, a lot of these different online groups and stuff that you can really find what you're looking for. So that's been a, that's been a cool experience for me. And I've had a great time, you know, uh, reading your book and then some of the other stuff that Tenemus Press and some of these other uh, indie presses have put out have been really cool. So uh, I did want to hit two more questions and then, sure. uh, then we'll wrap this thing up. I know I've been, been talking your ear off so uh but just in the book the Sasquatchy river and don quixote yeah are they significant or do those mean anything to you like outside of that book or that just kind of what you used for it like i even looked up again with other things in the story i looked them up like okay what is the significance of this and i didn't even i've heard the name don quixote but i don't sure. know the story and i just the one quote i pulled from it that kind of uh, hit the book was it says, uh, we do what we do because we expect it to lead to good consequences. And it's a madman projecting in this story. And I felt like that was maybe the husband, like he was the guy that, to, well, I don't know if he was Don, but I'm just saying that that quote specifically where he just does these things and expect them to lead to good consequences. He, in the book, you know, he was kind of the, the optimist, like, Hey, these are just growing pains of a new house. And, you know, uh, everyone struggles when they first start out. Like, like you said, he says all this super cheesy, optimistic things. Anyone would say when you're stuck in a situation and you're trying to, you don't want to just give up hope right away, you know, but uh, yeah. Were those significant in any way other than just, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the <laughs> Don Quixote specifically is a book about a guy who's kind of living in this imaginary world and kind of, fighting a fight against nothing essentially <laughs> you know and um it's a thick book it's like a thousand pages so there's a lot more to it than that but um that is a lot of what it feels like to exist in the modern world and to kind of want things is like you you are angry but you don't have anything very specific to put it to unless you want to just be like i hate everything or i'm angry about everything um but, you know, there's a, there's a moment in House of Rob where they're talking about like, well, you know, we could try to get help, but, you know, there's people out there who have this problem and this problem and we have it better than them and all this other stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's very much like them trying to kind of like not fall into that trap, that Don Quixote trap where you're just fighting. He famously fights windmills in the book, thinking that they're <laughs> monsters or, you know, saying that they're yeah. monsters. I'm going to fight these monsters for you. And he's just like hitting a windmill with his little like, you know, lance or whatever. And uh, 
So it's just like, it's not a one-to-one kind of thing, but it is yeah. just kind of like an extension of that classic idea of like, you know, a classic satire specifically. And there's also a very real reason why the book is in the, like a, a plot reason why the book is there is because it's thick and they use it for, for a weapon twice. Right. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. And and it's also kind of an extension on that thing, that commodification of art thing where they're like, oh, let me read a classic piece of literature. But they both never read the book. It's just sure. sitting on their yeah. coffee table constantly. And they, <laughs> keep, they keep refraining. I swear I'm going to read it one day. I swear I'm going to get to this book. So it's just kind of reinforcing that that theme of the book. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And cool, and the yeah. river, you talked about the river too. That river is not a real river. I made that up, but it's oh, okay. Kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a I, I kind of set my stories in this city that is sort of in my mind a combination of where I grew up, which is in northeast New Jersey, kind of the suburbs of New York City, and where I live now, which is Portland, Oregon. Uh, they're two vastly different places. Um so I kind of have this kind of like amalgamation of like you know all of my life experience all condensed into this one city uh which is a nameless city which i use in a lot of my books uh i'm not gonna they don't share a universe but it is essentially the same place that i'm writing about and in the middle of the city there is a river that runs through it or used to run through it that i called the sasquahatchee it's in moonfellows i talk about it too and i think i bring it up in maybe another book or two um this is the this book it actually plays a very significant role yeah in in the story itself but it is just a kind of made up thing about well, you know yeah great name i mean i was like yeah that makes sense to me i mean we have all kinds of things out here named you know we got the great smoky mountains and stuff here where i live so there's all kinds of uh like native uh, american yeah a lot stuff, of native yeah. american stuff a lot of cherokee uh you know language and stuff like that used to name a lot of things around so uh, well, up there around the mountains, especially, but so that's why I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's, you know, somewhere, you know, like you said, man, I thought maybe it was somewhere where you were from or like, oh yeah, this is a river that well, I, I, me and my the, old the, man used to fish on or something, you know, I just, I just threw it in there. The main river bisecting Portland is called the Willamette, which is a, a, a native word. And then I yeah. grew up in a town called Hopakon, which is also a, a Lenape word for like lake of lake or something like that. Cause yeah. there's a big lake in the middle of it. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> You know, uh, the places that I lived are have large bodies of water as kind of a central feature. And that is kind of has this kind of dubious origin of their name, usually a white bastardized version of some native word. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So that's what I did. I I made up a white bastardized version of a native word. It's kind of like a playoff of Susquehanna, too, which is a river in uh, Ohio, I think. Yeah. And um. Let's see. I was going to talk about the the Silver Flex mattress, yeah. if that was an actual. That's um, dude. That is real. The Silver Flex. I tried. Well, I, not, I not Silver it right Flex itself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but me and my girlfriend moved into an apartment, and we had no money, and but we had needed a mattress, and we decided to just finance a mattress because we're like we should just get one nice thing. Yeah, <laughs> like we we are moving in together and we're going to need something to sleep on. And we don't our couch we bought from like the from Goodwill for like 25 bucks. It was a piece of shit. Like, yeah. you know, it was all dusty. Some old lady probably died on it. Right. But we decided to spend like 
a thousand dollars on a fucking mattress. Neither of us had it. We had to have it financed and stuff. And yes. we were like, this is it. Um, and then we, we move into this apartment and then our apartment actually had a mold problem. Right. Like right. that's kind of was the genesis of this idea. Yeah. Our, our apartment, like it just sprung up out of nowhere one day. Right. I guess the, the apartment hit a humidity point or saturation point or whatever the fuck the case was. Yeah, Whatever day, mold does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day I woke up and it was on like three of the walls. It was in the cabinets. It grew on the headboard. It was fucking everywhere. It was horrifying. It took me days to clean up, but the mattress was safe because it was antimicrobial. We didn't know this when we bought it, but because yeah. we spent so much on this fancy mattress, we had actually had antimicrobial things. If we didn't spend so much on this mattress, if we would have got a shittier one, it would have been, you know, the old springtime. Yeah. We would have had to toss it. So the fact that we bought something nice for ourselves, actually, we got to keep it and still use it. because It survived this wave of mold that attacked us. <laughs> This is the whole genesis yeah. for the fucking book. I was about to say, hold on a second. How come you didn't start the fucking interview with that? <laughs> we just went through all the, the themes and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really yeah. It's, the book's about me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 70% <laughs> about my know. life, dude. <laughs> that's awesome. No, but it's, uh, it was a good point in the story because I think anyone that's, you know, moved in with someone else and you finally make, you know, no one ever really has a bunch of money when you're first starting out or even later on really. But like you said, that's one of those things where you're like, okay, I mean, there's a, I'm sure it's a saying everywhere, but here, uh, you know, like old country women will tell you spend a lot of money on where you sleep and your shoes. Cause you're in one or the other all the time. And so oh. getting a good mattress in or spending a lot of money on a good mattress and a good pair of boots is something that, you know, I don't know. It just kind of resonates around here. So I thought, oh, that's because that's again, we were using used mattresses uh, forever, me and my wife. And it was, again, a big decision. You know, we're like, well, I don't know. I mean, that's a lot of money on one thing. What if it sucks? Because, you know, if you lay down, and you can't sleep on that bitch. You're like, oh, God, we just wasted all this money. But um, you want to have something nice. You know, you're not going to yeah. spend that on a refrigerator or like uh a cabinet or something like that you know you're going to go buy cheap dishes or maybe just go to like the thrift store and get some stuff but then taking that one big jump to get oh and they're so nice too like once you spend money on a good mattress you're like oh this is so solid like I was, it's worth it so worth it but it, it was a funny part of the book and that it kept coming back around and throughout the story uh and it plays a pretty i mean again we're not going to spoil it but it plays a pretty big role in the yeah. book too so and yeah. just like in my life where it was like the one thing that we that saved that was that survived <laughs> yeah our, that's, our that's attack awesome. is, is part of what helps them um progress in the story yeah. let's say <laughs> yeah for sure well uh well i appreciate you man thank you so much for coming on the the show here uh thanks yeah, for making dude. some time for me and and doing the interview uh is there anything else that you want to throw out there or anything you're working on or coming up or um other than just like promo in this book or no yeah this, i mean it, this, i don't know when this episode's coming out but the book is only a month old so if everyone checks out house of rod that would be super great um, do you know where they can I, pick it up at 
Yeah, it's on Amazon. Uh, of of course, it's on Amazon. You yeah, know, but uh, you can get it through. I always suggest that people use Bookshop.org if they if they have a few extra bucks and they don't want to support Amazon. It, uh, that that is a website that you can pretty much get any book that you would be able to find on Amazon, but you purchase it through an indie bookstore instead. So the that will just put you in touch with indie bookstores, and that's Ooh. where they they ship from. So if you want to support like actual people and not jeff bezos that is a great place yeah. to get it to or directly from the press is of, of course great too tenebrous press uh because that goes to a small business as well yeah yeah awesome man all right well uh well thanks again it was great to have you on here um anytime man or if you just want to come on here and talk shit about horror movies that's what i do every week so uh yeah just uh shoot me an email is there uh any way that people can get in touch with you if they want to or uh I mean, just you put type my name in the Google. All my socials are up there. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's usually the best way. Yeah. And oh, I even forgot to bring this up. There's a I think you have a Nick Cage blog. A Nicholas uh, Cage blog on there. That, that <laughs> is. Yeah, dude, that is like old. man. It's that on is, there, man. That's still crazy. out there. The I can't internet. believe that still exists. I can't believe you found that. Yeah, I that's think like that's like it's on your blog spot. Yeah. Oh, shit. Is it? I had to check it out. Yeah. I was watching every Nick Cage movie. Yeah. I still, I still love him. I got a yeah. tattoo of him on my arm. Oh, do you? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Now, which Nick Cage, though? Like, are we talking Con Air Nick Cage? Uh, or, well, you know, it's talking... kind of like his crazy vampires kiss, like, rah, kind of Oh, face. yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for I... listening. Uh, I'll give you the last words if you want to send us out. No, man, this has been great. So thank you for having me. All right. Thanks again. And that is our show, our bonus episode for this week. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Danger Slater. Tune in next week. We'll be back to our movie and book reviews. My name is Just James. This is a Just James Horror Review.